Chapter Five, Part One of A Prince of Good Fellows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. A Prince of Good Fellows by Robert Barr. Chapter Five, Part One. The King's Gold. It is strange to record that the first serious difficulty which James encountered with the nobles who supported him arose not over a question of state, but through the machinations of a foreign mountebank. The issue came to a point where, if the king had proceeded to punish the intriguer, his majesty might have stood alone, while the lords of his court would have ranged themselves in support of the charlatan, a most serious state of things the like of which has before now overturned a throne in dealing with this unexpected crisis the young king acted with a wisdom scarcely to be expected from his years he directed the nobility as a skilful rider manages a mettlesome horse sparing curb and spur when the use of the one might have unseated him or the use of the other resulted in a frenzied bolt thus the judicious horseman keeps his saddle yet arrives at the destination he has marked out from the beginning in the dusk of the evening james went down the high street of stirling keeping close to the wall as was his custom when about to pay a visit to his friend the cobbler for although several members of the court knew that he had a liking for low company the king was well aware of the haughty disdain with which the nobles regarded those of the mechanical or trading classes so he thought it best not to run counter to a prejudice so deeply rooted and for this reason he restricted the knowledge of his visits to a few of his more intimate friends as the king was about to turn out of the main street he ran suddenly into the arms of a man coming from the shop of a clothier who made costumes for the court as each started back from the unexpected encounter the light from the mercer's shop window lit up the face of his majesty's opponent and the latter saw that he had before him his old friend sir david lindsay ah davy cried the king it's surely late in the day to choose the colours for a new jacket indeed your majesty is in the right replied sir david but i was not selecting cloth i was merely enacting the part of an honest man and liquidating a reckoning of long-standing what a poet with money exclaimed the king who ever heard of such a thing man davy you might share the knowledge of your treasure-house with a friend kings are always in want of money is your gold-mine rich enough for two the king spoke jocularly placing no particular meaning upon his words and if sir david had answered in kind james would doubtless have thought no more about the matters but the poet stammered and showed such evident confusion that his majesty's quick suspicions were at once aroused he remembered that of late a change had come over the court scottish nobles were too poor to be lavish in dress and frequently the somewhat meagre state of their wardrobe had furnished a subject for jest on the part of ambassadors from france or spain but when other foreigners less privileged than an ambassador had ventured to make the same theme one for mirth they speedily found there was no joke in scottish steel 
which was ever at an opponent's service even if gold were not so those who were wise and fond of life became careful not to make invidious comparisons between the gallants of edinburgh and stirling and those of paris and madrid but of late the court at stirling had blossomed out in fine array and although this grandeur had attracted the notice of the king and pleased him he had given no thought to the origin of the new splendour the king instantly changed his mind regarding his visit to the cobbler linked arm with the poet and together they went up the street this sudden reversion of direction gave the royal wanderer a new theme for thought and surmise it seemed as if all the town was on the move acting as surreptitiously as he himself had done a few moments previously at first he imagined he had been followed and the suspicion angered him in the gloom he was unable to recognize any of the wayfarers and each seemed anxious to avoid detection passing hurriedly or slipping quietly down some less frequented alley or lane certain of the figures appeared familiar but none stopped to question the king davy cried james pausing in the middle of the street you make a very poor conspirator indeed your majesty replied the poet earnestly no one is less of a conspirator than i davy you are hiding something from me that i am not your majesty i am quite ready to answer truly any question your majesty cares to ask the trouble is davy that my majesty has not yet got a clue which will lead to shrewd questioning but as a beginning i ask you what is the meaning of all this court stir in the old town of stirling how should i know your majesty asked the poet in evident distress there now davy there now the very first question i propound gets an evasive answer the man who did not know would have replied that he did not i dislike being juggled with and for the first time in my life sir david lindsay i am angered with you the knight was visibly perturbed but at last he answered in this matter i am sworn to secrecy all secrets reveal themselves at the king's command replied james sternly speak out speak fully and speak quickly there is no guilt in the secret your majesty i doubt if any of your court would hesitate to tell you all were it not that they fear ridicule which is a thing a scottish noble is loth to put up with whether from the king or commoner get on and waste not so much time in the introduction said his majesty shortly well there came some time since to stirling an italian chemist who took up his abode and set up his shop in the abandoned refectory of the old monastery he is the author of many wonderful inventions but none interests the court so much as the compounding of pure gold in a crucible from the ordinary earth of the fields i can well believe that cried the king i have some stout fighters in my court who fear neither man nor devil in battle yet would stand with mouth agape before a juggler's tent but surely davy you have been in the colleges and have read much from learned books 
are not such a fool as to be deluded by that ancient fallacy the transmutation of any other metals into gold sir david laughed uneasily i did not say i believed it your majesty still a man must place some credence in what his eye sees done as well as in what he reads from books and after all the proof of the cudgel is the rap on the head i have beheld the contest beginning with an empty pot and ending with a bar of gold doubtless i have seen a juggler swallow hot iron but i have never believed it went down his throttle although it appeared to have done so did you get any share of the transmuted gold that's the practical test my davy that is exactly the test your barons applied i doubt if their nobilities would take much interest in a scientific experiment were there no profit at the end of it each man entering the laboratory pays what he pleases to the money-taker at the table but it must not be less than one gold bonnet piece when all have entered the doors are closed and locked the amount of money collected is weighed against small bars of gold which the alchemist places in the opposite scale until the two are equally balanced this bar of gold he then throws into the crucible oh he puts gold into the crucible does he where then is the profit i thought these necromancers made gold from iron signor farini's method is different your majesty he asserts that like attracts like and that the gold in the crucible will take to itself the minute unseen particles which he believes exists in all soils the intense heat burning away the dross and leaving the refined gold i see and how ends this experiment the residue is cooled and weighed sometimes it's double the amount of gold put in sometimes treble and i have known him upon occasion take from the crucible quadruple the gold of the bar but never have i known a melting fall below double the amount collected by the man at the table at the final act each noble has returned to him double or treble the gold he relinquished on entering where then arises the profit to your italian i never knew these foreigners to work for nothing he says he does it for love of scotland and hatred of england an ancient enemy were but the scottish nation rich he thinks they could the better withstand incursions from the south well davy that seems to me a most unsubstantial reason scotland's protection has been her poverty in all except hard knocks were she as wealthy as france it would be the greater temptation for englishers to overrun the country my grandfather james the third had a black chest full of gold and jewels yet he was murdered flying from defeat in battle when does this golden wizard fire his cauldron davy to-night your majesty that is the reason the nobles of your court were making sly haste to his domicile ah and sir david lindsay was hurrying to the same spot so blindly that he nearly overran his monarch it is even so your majesty then i am hindering you from much profit and you must even blame yourself for being so long in the telling however it is never too late to turn one bonnet piece into two so davy 
lead the way for i would see this alchemist turn out gold from a pot as a housewife boils potatoes i fear your majesty that the doors will be shut if they are davy the king's name will open them lead the way lead the way the doors were not shut but were just on the point of closing when sir david put his shoulder to them and forced his way in followed closely by his companion the king and his henchmen found themselves in a small anteroom furnished only with a bench and a table on the latter was a yellow heap of bonnet pieces of the king's own coinage beside this heap lay a scroll with the requisites for writing the money-taker a gaunt foreigner clad in long robes like a monk closed the door and barred it securely then returned to the table he nodded to sir david and glanced with some distrust upon his plaid-covered companion whom have you brought to us sir lindsay asked the man suspiciously a friend of mine the master of ballengeich one who can keep his own counsel and who wishes to turn an honest penny we admit none except those connected with the court demurred the money-taker well in a manner ballengeich is connected with the court he supplies the castle with the products on his farm the man shook his head that will not do he said my orders are strict i dare not admit him is not my money as good as another's asked ballengeich speaking for the first time no offence is meant to your sir as your friend sir lindsay knows but i have my orders and dare not exceed them do you refuse me admittance then i am compelled to do so sir greatly to my regret is not my surety sufficient asked sir david i am deeply grieved to refuse you sir but i cannot disobey my strict instructions oh very well then said the king impatiently we will stay no further question sir david here is a close friend of the king and a friend of my own therefore we will return to the castle and get the king's warrant which i trust will open any door in stirling the warder seemed nonplussed at this and looked quickly from one to the other finally he said will you allow me a moment to consult with my master very well so that you do not hold us long replied the master of ballengeich i shall do my errand quickly for at this moment i am keeping the whole nobility of scotland waiting the man disappeared taking however the gold with him in a bag in a short space of time he returned and bowing to the two waiting men he said my master is anxious to please you sir lindsay and will accept the money of your friend whereupon the two placed upon the table five gold pieces each and the amount was credited opposite their names upon the parchment sir david leading the way drew aside one heavy curtain and then a second one which allowed them to enter a long low-roofed room almost in total darkness as far as the end to which they were introduced was concerned but the upper portion of the hall was lit in lurid fashion at the further end of the refectory was a raised platform on which the heads of the order had dined during the prosperous days of the edifice while the humbler brethren occupied as was customary the main body of the lower floor upon this platform stood a metal tripod which held a basket of dazzling fire and in this basket was set a crucible now changing from red to white 
under the constant exertions of two creatures who looked like imps from the lower regions rather than inhabitants of the upper world these two strove industriously with a huge bellows which caused the fire to roar fiercely and this unholy light cast its effulgence upon the faces of many notable men packed closely together in the body of the hall it also shone on the figure of a tall man the ghastly pallor of whose countenance was enhanced by a fringe of hair black as midnight he had a nose like a vulture's beak and eyes piercing in their intensity as black as his midnight hair his costume also resembled that of a monk in cut but it was scarlet in hue and the radiance of the furnace caused it to glow as if illuminated by some fire from within at the moment the last two entered farini was explaining to his audience in an accent palpably foreign that he was a man of science and that the devil gave him no aid in his researches an assertion doubtless perfectly accurate his audience listened to him with visible impatience evidently anxious for talk to cease and practical work to begin the wizard held in his right hand the bag of gold that the king had seen taken from the outer room presently there entered through another curtained doorway on what might be called the stage the money-taker in the monk's dress who handed to the necromancer the coins given him by lindsay and ballengeich which the wizard tossed carelessly into the bag the attendant placed the scroll upon a table and then came forward with the weighing machine held in his hand the alchemist placed the gold from the bag upon one side of the scale and threw into the other bar after bar of yellow metal until the two were equal then the bag of gold was placed on the table beside the scroll and the wizard carefully deposited the yellow bars within the crucible the two imps now working the bellows more strenuously than ever the experiment was carried on precisely as sir david had foretold but there was one weird effect which the poet had not mentioned when the necromancer added to the melting pot huge lumps of what appeared to be common soil from the field the mixture glared each time with a new color once a vivid violet color flamed up which cast such a livid death-like hue on the faces of the knights there present that each looked upon the other in obvious fear again the flame was pure white again scarlet again blue again yellow when at last the incantation was complete the bellows work was stopped the coruscating cauldron was lifted from the fire by an iron hook and chain and set upon the stone floor to cool bubbling and sparkling like a thing of evil but the radiance became duller and duller as time went on and finally its contents were poured out into mould of sand and there congealing the result was lifted by tongs and laid upon the scale the bag of gold was placed again in the opposite disc but the heated metal far outweighed it the wizard then unlocked a desk and threw coin after coin in the pan that held the bag until at last the beam of the scale hung level the secretary now pushed forward a table to the edge of the platform and on the table placed a rushlight which served but to illuminate the parchment before him with great rapidity he counted the gold pieces which were not in the bag then whispered to his master 
the room was deathly still as the man in scarlet stepped forward to make his announcement i regret he said that our experiment has not been as successful as i had hoped this doubtless has been caused by the poverty of the earth from which i took my material i shall dig elsewhere against our next meeting and then we may look for better results to-night i can return to you but double the money you gave to my treasurer at this there went up what seemed to be a sigh of relief from the audience which had been holding its breath with all the eagerness of a gambler who had made a stake and awaited the outcome of the throw the necromancer taking the parchment called out name after name and as each title was enunciated the bearer of it came to the edge of the platform and received from the secretary double the amount of gold pieces set down on the parchment as each man secreted his treasure he passed along out of the hall and so it came about that sir david and ballengeich being the last on the list received the remaining coins on the table and silently took their departure End of chapter 5, part 1, read by Lars Rolande.